Thank you guys again this morning. We're in 1 Peter. If you have your Bibles, open to 1 Peter. We started a series last Sunday and going to continue for the next several little bit. I uh, don't know how long, but we'll walk through 1 Peter and pick up the second uh, thereafter and uh, just looking forward to what God has for us from his word. And today, uh, our sermon title is 1 Peter chapter number 1 beginning in verse number, really focusing on 13. We'll pick up 10 and, and walk down through 17, but talking about the responsibilities of the redeemed, uh, the responsibilities of the redeemed. And uh, uh, last week, we talked a little bit about heaven and uh, reminded me of a, of a story about uh, a pastor that went down into his, his uh, elementary division and uh, went to a connection group and, and talked about the joys of heaven, talked about all the joys of heaven, and then asked the question, said, uh, hey, how many of you guys want to go to heaven? And all of them raised their hand, and, and, but one little boy, he didn't raise his hand. And, and so the pastor went to him and said, hey, I noticed you didn't raise your hand. Uh, what's, what's up with you? And, uh, and little boy said, well, my mama said as soon as we're out of connection group, I got to meet her in the worship center. And uh, so when you're talking about a salvation, a lot of times what we do is limit our salvation to when we get saved and calling on the Lord Jesus Christ and then heaven one day. Well, what about all the between? What about from the time that I got saved until I see Jesus Christ face to face? Uh, you think about that period of time that we're living in, the days of grace. And uh, uh, you, you, you think about all of that time. If, if, if all there was to salvation was just getting saved, calling on the name of Jesus Christ, and then just doing whatever you want to do until I see Jesus Christ, well, then we don't even need the rest of the New Testament. I mean, all we need is just tell me about Jesus Christ, period, and that's it, end of discussion. But we have the whole Bible. And in, the, in God's word, he tells us, hey, listen, there are responsibilities in Incredible privileges, but also responsibilities when you're talking about uh, a believer in Jesus Christ, understanding this, a couple of things. Uh, uh, what we have to be careful of when we go this direction is, is that we're never going to talk about being saved by our works. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by grace not by works, okay? We're not saved by works, but we are saved for works. In fact, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter number two and in verses number eight, nine, and 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith and not uh, by works. It's nothing that you've done in and of your own strength because it's nothing that you can boast about when you're talking about being a Christian. I'm not a Christian today because of a work that I did, but it's because of what Jesus Christ did. We're saved by grace but then in Ephesians chapter two, verse number 10, he says it like this. He says, for your God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for the works that you, that's been prepared for you in advance. In other words, uh, he, he says, I, I wanna use you to be, to, to, to this morning to be able to, to think that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords wants to use me. And uh, uh, so, so we're saved for works. And so we have a responsibility uh, uh, in life. In fact, the Bible says over in Philippians chapter number two, uh, the apostle Paul writing, and he says it like this in Philippians two, verses 12 and 13. So then my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for all of his good pleasure. In other words, what is he saying in those couple of verses? He's saying, hey, hey, 
You have a job to do. Work out your salvation. Not work for, but work it out. Uh, and, and you know what? In the process, in the process, do you know that it's the Holy Spirit of God that enables us? He says there in verse number 13, he says, hey, it's, both, it's him who is at work both in you both to will and to do. In other words, what's he saying? He says, I'm, I, I changed your want-tos when you got saved. When you got saved, if you're saved this morning, you have some want-tos. I want to obey God. I want to worship God. I want to live for Jesus Christ. He gave me that want to along the way, uh, but he also enables me to do what he calls me to do. And if we're not careful, sometimes even for us that are saved, sometimes I don't want to. I want to, but I don't want to. You ever have that struggle? Paul said it like this. Why is it that I do the things I don't wanna do and I don't do the things that I wanna do? It's a struggle that we have along the way. But at the end of the day, we do have a job to do and it's to bring honor and glory to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so this morning, when you're looking at Peter, Peter's writing and uh, 1 Peter chapter number one and, uh, and, and the first 12 verses, what he's talking about is he's talking about doctrinal issues, right? He's talking about how great is your salvation and, and and I would encourage you, go back and chew on it, read it. And uh, how great is your salvation when you're talking about you and how significant you are that God would never forget about you because he's invested into you. You know how much he's invested into you and that's where Peter's coming from, how much he has invested. Hey, your salvation was thought of even before time began by God the Father. And it was bought by the son on Calvary when he came and laid down his life for you. And then it was brought to you when the Holy Spirit of God came and knocked on the door of your heart. So the Trinity was at work in your salvation. I mean, he has invested into you, special, and he has secured you and he has prepared a place for you. It's incredible, one of these days. And so, and so he begins this whole letter by saying, hey, you need to understand, uh, it's a doctrinal section from verse number one all the way down to verse number 12. Understand how significant you are and how amazing your salvation is is beliefs. But then he goes into this section today where we're gonna talk about behavior because beliefs always lead to behavior. And when you're looking at scripture, that's the way the Apostle Paul oftentimes write. We're in Peter today, but the Apostle Paul oftentimes will write that way. He'll give a doctrinal truth, but then the duty to, 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 to follow. In other words, it's not just about uh, what I believe, but what about my behavior? And what does that look like? And so that's where we are this morning. So let me pick up in verse number 10. Uh, we're gonna focus on 13 and following, but let's pick up in 10, kind of a summary statement of how great our salvation really is. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them uh, that they were not serving themselves, but you, talking about you, us, in these things, which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And he's just simply saying, hey, listen, you know what you have received, the salvation that you heard about? I mean, it was, it, was, it was proclaimed all the way back in the Old Testament. The prophets proclaimed it. And when you read back in the Old Testament, when you read the Bible, you always, if you really wanna understand the Old Testament, you look for Jesus in the Old Testament because he's there. Some people say, man, he didn't come to the gospels. No, he was in the beginning. 
And this book, when you're talking about the Bible, there's one theme throughout the entire Bible, one theme that connects every single book in the Bible, and that is the theme of redemption, that God Almighty loves you and he loves me, and how he sent his one and only son into this world. The theme of redemption is what ties it all together. And so, and so when you're talking about the Old Testament, he says, these things that you uh, uh, have heard, uh, they, were, they, were only, they were only kind of uh, uh, thought out, they were searching, trying to understand because when you look at the Old Testament, what they often wrote about uh, were the two mountains. When you're talking about the two mountains, they, they, they could see Mount Calvary and then they could also go on and see the Mount of Olivet. And what were those two mountains? It's as if they were looking across the landscape and they saw the two, two mountain peaks where Jesus Christ would come and lay down his life, but then Jesus Christ would return. But there's this valley in between and it's in that valley where we're living today, the church age, the days of grace. It it was a mystery in the Old Testament. They longed for, looked for, what in the world? How great is the salvation? I know that God's gonna send a savior, but wow, what's, what's that gonna be about? And so the Old Testament prophets could only wonder. Uh, and, and, and not only the Old Testament prophets, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says even the angels wondered. Even the angels were fascinated by how great is this salvation and I think about that, and, and, and I have these thoughts sometimes. I think, man, they were fascinated by the amazing grace that God has sended to us who treat it so frivolously. And I wonder what the angels think sometimes. That they would taste saving grace of the one who's on the throne and be so flippant with their salvation. <clears throat> so we're talking about an amazing salvation. So what does it look like? He goes into verse number 13. Therefore, it's a word connecting uh, the first 12 verses to what he's about to say. And he's simply saying, hey, listen, based upon what I've already said, based upon the greatness of your salvation, based upon the fact that, man, God Almighty loves you dearly and has blessed you incredibly beyond your wildest dreams and imaginations, therefore... And he goes into verse number 13. Prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all of your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. And then he goes on from there. But this morning, just talking about responsibilities of the, of the redeemed. We're not, not an exhaustive little text this morning, but it does give us some things to work on today. And he says, first of all, in verse number 13, he says, think godly thoughts. Think godly thoughts. What are you allowing to consume your thought life? What are you allowing to, to, to consume the thoughts that you're thinking every day, day after day? He says, think godly thoughts in verse number 13, he says, therefore, prepare your minds, or you might have the word, gird up your minds for action. And he goes on from there. And, uh, and, and he's just simply saying, hey, here's an image that he's given to us. It's an image of uh, in that day and time where they would wear robes. And, and if a man or a woman wanted to go somewhere quickly, what they would do is they would take, and they would take the four corners of their robe and they would tuck it down into their belt so that they wouldn't have anything hindering them. If they're in a hurry, they don't wanna be tripped up. They 
They don't wanna be hindered. They don't wanna be slowed down. Let me gird up, let me gird up my robe. And that's the picture, that's the image of what Peter's saying here and God is saying to us today is gird up. You have a responsibility to gird up the loins of your mind. Guard the thoughts of your mind. Guard what's happening in your mind. In fact, over in Hebrews, in Hebrews it says it like this. Hebrews chapter number 12 and verse number one says, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off the things, the encumbrances that are hindering us and, 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 and the sin that so easily ensnares and let us run. It's the same picture that's being presented. There's some things in our life that trip us up spiritually speaking. He says, gird those things up. Take captive of those things in your life. And so God help us. And, 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 and we have a responsibility. In fact, the word for gird means, hey, <clears throat> The tense in which it is used is a tense that means you have respond. You take the responsibility. In other words, it's not, it's not just this easy, right? It's not just this easy because a lot of times, man, we, we have these crazy thoughts and we just say, man, dear God, help me, help me have clear thoughts today. Help me have clear thoughts today. And that's, praise God for that. I mean, you know, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we have a responsibility in that process. It's not just that easy. It's kind of like this. If I were to pray, think about it. If it were that easy, if it were that easy, I would say, dear Lord, please, uh, Help me with my love handles. Uh, and, and, and you know what? You know what he would say to that? He wouldn't just take away an appetite from me. He'd say, hey, meet me at the gym on Monday morning and we'll deal with it. You got a responsibility along the way. And, and, and that's what he's saying to us today. We have, he, we, we have responsibility in this process. And so the question that each of us have to ask ourselves is what are we doing with our minds? Have we girded up the thoughts of our minds? Garbage in, garbage out. We're, we're living in a day where, where we've gotta be careful. How do you guard up? How do you guard up? How do you put them under the belt? Well, the belt is, is, is the truth. It's the word of God. You take your thoughts captive. How do you know what's right and what's wrong? Well, you gotta get into the word of God. And so, and so that's how we gird up our minds. That's how we gird up our thoughts is by bringing our thoughts underneath the word of God. And, 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 so, and so here's practically just a challenge, just a thought this morning, because a lot of times what happens to us today is we're so engaged on everything that's happening around us. And if, and if you're one that's given too much news from, uh, on television, your thoughts are gonna run wild. If, if you're on social media all the time, and, and, and your thoughts are gonna run wild, really. And that's why we, we, we have a responsibility to, to, to examine with our minds. And so you get into God's word and you know what happens to us when we get into God's word? It helps us with clear thinking. It helps us to see clearly. It helps us to know truth because at the end of the day, it's about what I think about truth, what I know about truth, what God says about truth. And, and, and that's only had in his word. And so I want to encourage you. It's amazing how, what he does. And so in the mornings, get up in the mornings, I would encourage you, take time. Don't flip on the social media. Don't flip on the TV, but take time in God's word and let him just saturate your mind. Gives you clear thoughts for the day. And there's a lot of different ways. I mean, we do D groups and it's out there on our social media. Uh, <laughs> you want to find it. But it's God's word. You know, you know, I mean, this morning, amazing. You get up in the morning and you open up God's word, a proverb of the day. You read the proverbs of the day. Today was, I read the proverbs of the day. Amazing. Whenever I got into God's word, it's amazing. I saw my wife and right there. 
Proverbs 31. She was there all about her. And, uh, and, and, and I tell you what it did. It gave me a renewed, a renewed thankfulness for my wife this morning. Help me out. I'm thankful. God help us. <clears throat> you know, the Bible says in Romans 12, different ways it says it. But over in, over in Romans chapter 12, the Bible says it like this in verse number two. Romans 12 and verse number two. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Over in the Psalm, listen to this, Psalm number one. The Bible says this in Psalm number one. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. He's talking about the value of God's word in your life. There's no quick fix to it. If you want clear minds, if you want to gird up the thoughts of your minds, you've got to get into his word. And he says, be sober. He goes on from there. In verse, the same verse, he says, gird up your minds, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. And then he goes on from there. But having a spirit-controlled mind, not getting intoxicated and carried away with all kinds of thoughts and imaginations. It's amazing what your minds can do. And, 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 he's, and he's writing to people who, again, struggle with, with a lot of, uh, a, a lot of uh, uh, theological issues, and hey, don't, don't be intoxicated with all these different theological dogmas and, and fall off the tracks and get crazy on us. You ever, you ever, you ever met somebody that, that they've fallen off the, uh, off the tracks theologically? In other, words, in other words, what happens is all of a sudden the only thing they can talk about is this one thing. I mean, I mean, you know, exa- for example, some, some people, it's all about eschatology. It's all about the end times. And, and so they get so overwhelmed and so consumed. And I'm not saying that it's not important to read God's word and it's not important to live expectantly and it's not important to study God's word. That is not what I'm suggesting. But what I am saying is you ever met somebody that is so over the top and so overwhelmed and consumed with these thoughts that all of a sudden it's like, man, everywhere I look, I'm seeing the antichrist. It's like, look for Jesus. Look for Jesus. Or, you know, demonology, demonology. You ever, you ever met somebody that, man, behind every bush, there's a demon, and we're looking to exercise demons? <laughs> yeah, you ever seen that? Or, or you know, or, 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 or they'll pray, you know, a person that, that, that falls off the tracks with demonology or, or, or pneumatology. They'll, they'll start looking at things and they'll say, man, They'll pray and they'll be praying to the Father and then all of a sudden they'll say, and you devil, and they'll start talking to the devil. I'm like, can I tell you something seriously? Jesus Christ was asked, how do you pray? He said, here's how you pray. Our Father who art in heaven, not our Father in heaven and you devil. And we're not speaking to the devil because, because besides that, you know what you're ascribing to the devil? Omnipresence omnipresence. He's not omnipresent. I don't know whether he's here or not, but God does. Be careful that you're not falling off the tracks with theological dogmas. Stay centered. Stay stay healthy along the way. The end times, it's not like just all of a sudden throwing up your arms and climbing up a hill and saying, man, I know he's coming tomorrow, so I'm just going to stop. 
It's like, come on now. Even the son doesn't know when he's gonna be coming. Think godly thoughts. He says, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's he saying? He's saying, hey, there's a sense in which every decision we make as believers ought to have a future aspect to it. It's not just the here and now. Because if we're not careful, if all we think about is the here and now, we forget that, man, there's gonna come a day that I see Jesus Christ face to face and what a day that's gonna be. Yes, we're gonna go through some struggles along the way, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I wanna be ready for that day. Preparing, thinking about, thinking about, am I invested into eternity? It's kinda like this, it's kinda like this. You take a couple that gets engaged, all right? You take a couple that gets engaged. They get engaged and all of a sudden, you know what they do? <clears throat> From the time of their engagement till the time of their wedding, in the, in the consummation period, what they'll do is, is, is that they'll make their decisions based upon how's this gonna impact? How's this gonna impact? And, and that's what Peter's saying. Hey, you're the bride of Christ. And one of these days... You're gonna see Jesus face to face, that salvation that's coming, the consummation of salvation. What a day that's gonna be. So with your thoughts, be thinking about how's this affecting and preparing for that consummation day, one of these days. I'm looking forward to that day. Guard my minds. When you're, when you're talking about having a thought process completely fixed, a hope completely fixed on the grace, the salvation to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know what it does? It has a purifying effect on our lives. That's what it does. It has a purifying effect on our lives because I know one of these days I'm seen and I'll be ready for that day. <clears throat> Think godly thoughts. But then he talks about the ways. Walk in godly ways, verse number 14. Walk in godly ways. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance, but like the holy one who called you be holy yourselves also in all of your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And, uh, and so being obedient along the way, being obedient along the way. You know, there's only two types of people in this world. There's obedient children of God and disobedient children. There's obedient children of God and there's disobedient. In fact, obedience is a mark of being a believer of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? I mean, we're living in a day where we're selling cheap grace, where we're, where we're selling cheap grace. You just say a prayer and it doesn't really matter. Well, man, that prayer, that when, when you pray and you receive Jesus Christ as a personal savior, there's a, there's a want to that changes in my life. And my life all of a sudden is marked by obedience. Doesn't mean I'm never gonna sin again, but it's marked by obedience. First John chapter three, listen to what he says. First John chapter three, by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious, you hear that? I mean, I mean, that's pretty clear language. In other words, it's not like, well, I wonder if they're saved. I wonder if they're not saved based on their actions. I'm not saved because of my actions, but my actions will reveal whether or not I am saved. That's what John is saying. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. He's saying, man, he changes us. There's a difference. He says, don't be imitators of the world. Don't be an imitator of the rest of the world. In other words, what is he saying? He's saying, hey, I want you to be like Jesus. I want you to be holy. And what we have is we have a lot of people who wanna know 
how far is too far? Uh, you know, we, we're living in a day where Christians are oftentimes asking the question, well, how far is too far? How far can I go and still be saved? How far can I go and still uh, not dishonor God? Well, that's a crazy question. I mean, I mean you're, 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 you're saying, I wanna live life on the edge. And a lot of people who live life on the edge end up falling hard. He says, I, I want you to follow Christ. You know, uh, several years ago, if you remember, the Susan B. Anthony coin was, was, was created and uh, that little dollar, remember that dollar looked like a quarter uh, that came out still around there in circulation, uh, but, they, but they made it and they thought this is gonna change currency in America uh, by this little, this little quarter, this dollar that looks like a quarter. And, uh, and it only lasts a few years and they still are in circulation. But nonetheless, uh, what the problem was, what the problem was, they started polling people and they said, well, it doesn't look like a dollar. I mean, it looks like a 25 cent piece is what it looks like. And, and, and I thought about that and I thought, you know what? <clears throat> the world wants to know, hey, what does Jesus look like? And they expect to see him in Christians. Did you know there's an expectation that the world has of believers? Do you know that there's an expectation? It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me uh, uh, whenever, whenever you talk to people, and I'm not talking to everybody, but when you talk to people, it's amazing to hear, uh, man, I, I had one person one time say, uh, say, hey, <clears throat> I'm, bringing, I'm bringing some family members to church and they're not saved. And they said, so be careful what you say. <laughs> What's that supposed to mean? I, I mean, It's real. What is that supposed to mean? Can I tell you something? Your lost family member expects to hear more truth than you do. I believe that when people come to church, I believe that when, when people look at a Christian's life, they expect a difference. And you know one of the problems we have today? Is the church doesn't want to be different. I want to act like everybody else. I want to talk like everybody else. I want to watch what everybody else watches. I want to be like everybody else. And you know what happens when we do that? We lose our saltiness. Jesus Christ was talking. Remember when Jesus Christ was preaching and Jesus Christ, Matthew chapter number five, he said, hey, you're the salt of the earth. What do you mean by salt? Man, it's distinct. It's different. Nothing tastes like salt. Everything tastes like chicken. Thank you. <laughs> Just making sure you're with me. But nothing tastes like salt. Salt is distinct. And you know what Jesus said? He said, if the salt has lost its saltiness, what did it lose? Its distinct flavor. It's no longer good for anything. What Peter is saying in this passage is he's saying, hey, because you've experienced so great a salvation, be holy, for he is holy. What does it mean to be holy? It means to be set apart unto him. You know, a lot of times we talk about holiness and, 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 and we'll, we'll, we'll see, we'll see a, uh, some kind of a religious leader dressed in a robe and say, well, that's the holy man. I say, man, that doesn't make him holy. It might make him hot, but it doesn't make him holy. I mean, how you, uh, holiness doesn't, is not dependent upon what I wear. Just because I wear a suit or wear shorts or whatever I wear, holiness is not dependent upon what I wear. Holiness isn't about the hour either. You ever heard that one before? 
Bless this high and holy hour. What do you mean holy hour? <laughs> it's, it, it's not about a time of day. It's not about what I wear. Uh, it's a, it, it, holiness is to be set apart uh, for the use of Jesus Christ. What does that look like practically speaking? A couple of things. Number one, I will never experience practical holiness unless there's a repentant spirit within me. What does that mean? A, a broken and contrite heart over sin. If, if, if I think that I can just live life and allow sin to be a part of who I am, and I'm not saying that we're practically perfect because we're not. Positionally, we are. But we're in this process. But if I can live life and say, that's just the way I am, whatever that is in my life, that I know that if I bring it underneath the light of God's word, he says, this is sin. And if I'm not identifying those things as sin in my life, such that I'm repentant and I allow it to linger, holiness will never be a part of who I am. Why? Because what happens when we allow sin to linger, we are quenching the Holy Spirit's work in our life. And holiness, holiness is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit of God, his presence in us. It comes from the inside, not the outside, not because of, but what's happening inside will manifest itself on the outside. What do you mean by that? Here's what I mean by that. As a believer, I'm not holy because I didn't watch that movie. I'm not holy because I didn't watch that movie, but I didn't watch that movie because I am holy. So God help us. Holiness comes from the inside. It's, it's, it's the Holy Spirit of God. And so he manifests itself. So what does it look like? What does it look like, practically speaking, the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit, love. You know what happens when a person is holy? They are a loving person. I mean, they, they love people. They understand what Jesus Christ was saying when he said, hey, make sure that you love the sinner and hate the sin. That's holy living. A lot of times what we do, you know, he says, hey, hey, you need to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's easy, it's worldly to say, you know what? They don't like me, fooey on them. They're lost. <laughs> That's the way of the world. Not, you're holy. You've been bought with a price. And when you turned your back on Jesus, he still loved you. So love the world like Jesus loved you. To be holy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's all the work of the Holy Spirit of God. God, consume me, help me, enable me, and he does enable me to do. The question is, do I want to do what he's called me to do? He's just simply saying, hey, listen, you are different. You've been bought with a high price. You are a child of God. Therefore, you really need to act like it. I heard a story about a man, <clears throat> and uh, 
he got cut off while he's driving. And that's one of my weaknesses. Uh, not that I cut people off, but I don't like you. Oh, but uh, but, but you, you ever been cut off and, and, and man, it, it just, uh, so this dude got cut off and he got up there to the light, you know, and he got right up there and started flashing his lights in the, in the back window, that person in front of him, raising his hands up and doing gestures with his hands. And he was hollering. And, and, and about that time, about that time, somebody started tapping on his window, right? And there was an officer that was tapping on his window and, uh, and got him out of the car and arrested him, put him back in his car. And, and a few minutes later, uh, the, the officer came to him and, and got him out of the back seat of the officer car and said, hey, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. He said, uh, he said I was looking at your car and I, and I noticed you had a cross hanging from your window and I noticed you had WWJD on the back and you had a Choose Life tag and you had a little Christian Fish logo and I just assumed the car was stolen. <laughs> you know what Peter's saying? Be holy as he is holy. Why? Because this world needs to see Jesus Christ. You are plan A and there's not a plan B. How many people have said, hey, what they got, I don't really care to have because I don't see the value. Be holy as I am holy. I wonder how many people do we make comfortable and sin because we sin with him. He goes on and he says, hey, live like this. Remember the judgment of Christ. Fear the, fear the judgment of the Father. Verse 17, if you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. God help me understand it. One of these days, I will give an account to my heavenly Father. And uh, on that day, you know, you know there's, there's two different judgments that the Bible speaks about. The Bible speaks about the great white throne of judgment. And this morning, hey, this morning, if you have never been born again, the great white throne of judgment, God is just, right? We have a God who is just, who's just. What does that mean? That means he punishes sin. And at the great white throne of judgment, will be reserved for those who have never called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what are they being judged for? Their sin. So this morning, if you've never been born again, here's what it's gonna look like. We talk Wednesday night in college group and, and this is what it's gonna look like. Here's a, here, here, basically what this is, is this is a, 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 a study guide for the final exam. That's what this is. Study guide for the final exam. You are guilty of sin. Who's gonna pay for it? How do you answer that? You are guilty of sin. How are you going to pay for it? Great white throne of judgment. You know what happens there? There's only one way to pay for my sin, and that's Jesus Christ, his blood. Without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ is the only way to atone for my sin. And so if I've never received the gift of salvation that's available through Jesus Christ, the great white throne of judgment. But then there's the judgment seat of Christ for believers. And that's, who's, that's who Peter's talking about, the judgment seat of Christ. And, and, and with that judgment, with that judgment, it means this. It means he is judging, looking for the value. In other, words, in other words, not just to say that's not any good, that's sin. No, that's already been dealt with in the life of a believer. But it's so that we might be rewarded by our heavenly father one of these days. 
And what a day that's gonna be to receive rewards for what I've done. Uh, Corinthians expounds on it. 2 Corinthians chapter number five over there. And the Bible says it like this. 2 Corinthians five, verse nine and 10. Therefore we also have as our ambition, whether uh, at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And so am I ready for that day? Am I living and longing and looking forward to the day when I see Jesus Christ face to face? What a day that's gonna be. This world needs to see Jesus Christ. God help us to show them clearly who he is. Help us. This morning we're gonna have the time of Lord's Supper here in just a moment. And, uh, and it's a time for the church family to gather together and to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us and to just really say, man, thank you, Jesus, for shedding your blood, for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for the price you paid for me. Thank you for your amazing grace. And the Bible says we're to examine our hearts. Why do we examine our hearts? Because he says, I don't want you to take my grace for granted. What I did for you not to be treated in vain. And so he says, make sure you examine your heart, search me. And so this morning, I'm just asking you to invite the Holy Spirit of God, search me, God, today. And it's not so that, hey, listen, it's not so that I can say, I'm not gonna partake, but rather that I might repent so that I can partake. And so this morning, I'm asking you to ask the Father, search my heart, God. Is there anything in me that's not pleasing to you? And I wanna repent of that. I wanna be refreshed in your presence, to be forgiven, to partake and say, man, his grace is amazing.